You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, and uh, we've got a treat today. We're going to be speaking to writer, filmmaker Glenn Trigg, whose latest feature film, Dreams of Paper and Ink, are going to be screening at Lido t- uh, tomorrow, uh, May the... T- Twentieth uh, Friday, May the 20th at the Lido in Hawthorne at 7pm. That's going to be followed by a Q&A. But uh, uh, before that event, Glenn's uh, going to have a chat with us about what it's like to make films in Australia. G'day, Glenn. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Now, uh, this is not uh, the first film that uh, you've made uh, or under your dark epic films um uh, Banner, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, filmmaking background? Yeah, sure. I began making films um, around the start of high school, I think it was, and I just gradually got more obsessed with it, and I just gradually got more um, like funding, and I got more um, experience, and just continually kept making feature films, and I think Dreams of Paper and Ink is my eighth feature so far, so it's, um, it's an ongoing um, process with movies. I know I love making films, and I just sort of can't stop at the moment. So I'm just yeah continually making movies, which is great fun, heaps of fun. Oh right, that's that's really fascinating. And so is uh, that? Uh, do you? Uh, it's a labour of love. You don't make your yeah. money out of it, or do you have other ways of making money to support this? I run great love? a few different businesses. Yeah, I run a few different businesses. So I do a lot of um, like video work. So I do a lot of editing for different people and different you know, corporations and I do like real estate work and I do, you know, um, dance school photography. I do a whole variety of different things in this realm, I guess. But um, yeah, the films themselves don't, they make a little bit of money here and there sometimes, but not enough to live off, unfortunately. So um, I just, uh, yeah, I just work as best as I can with my own businesses and um, try to fund them personally. Sometimes we get money from elsewhere as well, which has been good, but um, it is very much a passion um, project for me, just filmmaking for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your training is through the Victorian College of the Arts, uh, yeah, film and yeah, television. Year at the VCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to do a year at the VCA, which was great. Got to meet a lot of great people there, and um, yeah, improved my skills, and just you know, it let me know that I was taking things a bit more seriously at that point, um, which was good as well. So yeah. Oh, it's, it's and it's not something that comes from your family uh, experience. This is something that you just have projected through your own desire. Yes, definitely. Yeah, my parents were never into any sort of theatrics or filmmaking or anything like that. I think there is something in our family 
going back, like some of our different generations were, you know, involved with theatre especially. So I think there's there's something in the family there with that sort of um, production sense, I guess. But, um, yeah, growing up, I was, wasn't around anything at home that was film at all, other than watching movies, which I did all the time. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, isn't it, to uh, for a person... Because this particular film that you've made, which is Dreams of Paper and Ink, I've got a suspicion it's quite different uh, from your previous seven films because they're quite eclectic, aren't they? We'll get into the actual film we're talking about in a minute, but those earlier films, uh, you're making experiments, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. I, I like to try something different each time I make a movie. Like I've made a family adventure film called The Comet Kids a few years ago, which has done quite well. Um, made a time travel movie in 2012, which has done very well online. Um, I've made a few horror films, and this latest movie is, yeah, definitely something completely different. And it's very, it's completely different to a lot of other movies that exist. Like, it's not necessarily like many other films that are out there, which I like as well. So it's um, a very unique sort of cinematic experience, I guess, when you watch it. Yeah, because what you've done is uh, mute the dialogue. The dialogue is almost non-existent. I mean, people talk, but it's not up in front and centre, is it? it? There's a whole other yeah, thing going no, on. It's a, it's a dialogue-free film, so the dialogue never is yeah, part of the story at all. It's all just about looks and it's about music and it's about actions and feelings and all that sort of stuff. Um, that was a really interesting decision to make because I knew that... Um, yeah, like when I was writing the script, I just could not make it work with dialogue. I just dialogue just got in the way completely and then as soon as I decided to have no talking it just worked like instantly it was just like oh that flows really well without talking um and that was a really easy decision and it made things a lot easier for the entire production which was great so um and it makes things more unique for the audience too because you're watching a movie that has no talking because so many movies these days it's just you know it's dialogue 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 and it's just <laughs> conversation after conversation after conversation in a different room in a different place and so it's just something different. And you sort of pay a bit more attention to it too, I guess, because you're not, you know, you can't look at your phone and listen to the film. You have to really watch it because if you miss something, you'll actually miss the story to some degree. So um, it keeps people um, engaged a lot better, I think. Yeah, yeah. Tell, um, but it because that is the experiment and uh, uh, Dreams of Paper and Ink, it, it, it revolves around an author, a published author, a successful author, who's uh, on the track of his uh, next project and he decides to delve into his first love affair. But, of course, he opens up a Pandora's box, doesn't he? Yeah, so he's, um, he gets propositioned by his um, his publishing company to write something, you know, uh, that's going to save them, basically. Because well, I thought that was funny. It to... said, make it modern so it's a love affair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought and that was hilarious, because... actually. Uh, it's good you pick up on that. A lot of people miss that bit in the film, which is good, because that kind of explains why his memories are set in modern times as he's remembering all this stuff, because he wants to make it a modern story. So that, that actually kind of saved us, because we would have had to set the film back in, like, the 60s or the 70s. Yeah, I was um, going through it in my head as I was going along. I was thinking, how old was this man? Da, 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 da. But anyway, yeah, go on. Yes, yeah. So it, it freed up a lot, because I know when I did The Comet Kids, that was actually set in the early 60s, and that made things very complicated with everything, you know, clothing, costumes, all that sort of stuff. And I didn't really want to put and myself a lot of through research. that again. Yeah, and I didn't want to put myself through all that again. So I was like, I want to, you know, make, I want to tell this particular story, but, you know, to make it work, I don't want to set 
you know, the current author's time, you know, in the future. You don't want to make that the, the point of the film. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people just go with it. And people mostly forget. But at the end, I, I usually have a few people say, you know, why... Why was he remembering? And everyone had, you know, mobile phones and cars. Yeah, that's and right. <laughs> and it's like, well, he, you know, he's writing that story, and that story is a modern story, but it's about his story. So it's um, that's that's how it works. That's how it works in my mind, anyway. That's, that's yeah, yeah. I'm so saying. there were parallel universes going along, and the fact that love affairs are um, universal and timeless yes. is uh, yes. Well, uh, yes, exactly true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. It, it works in your favour. Definitely. So that, um, yeah, it made things a lot easier because, yeah, there was a few weeks where I was like, you know, I'm going to have to set this film in the past. That's the only way to make this work. And then I sort of thought, well, there must be a way to get around it. Um, and it was just a simple, yeah, piece of written text that, you know, he's typing on a, or he receives in an email that explains um, how we can, you know, get around that, basically. One of the things that's really fascinating about a filmmaker like you, who is making, you know, pretty glamorous-looking features, but in a very in a local milieu, which is what you're doing. You're not. I mean, if you were in America, you'd have a larger audience than you have here, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, that's quite permissible, right? Because everybody's thinking about the film industry as this big, huge monolith making. Uh, you know, people making movies that are, you know, $2 billion or something and returning three or, you know, not quite that big, but, you know, ridiculous levels of uh, funding effectively to tell a story. But that's what you're doing is something uh, uh, different uh, and more local. And what, one of the things, like in the o- opening sequence where you've got him, type, I love the way he types and things appear. It's such a nice... Nice idea. Um, and then disappear, you know what I mean? Uh, but you're in a location that I think uh, is a location I know because I remember going to a place where there's, there's these very tall trees with a very sparse in between um, up uh, in the hills somewhere. Um, you've, your locations are very interesting because uh, they're very uh, yeah. local, right? Yeah, well, we try to use... I. I location scout all the time every time i'm driving anywhere i'm looking around for something that is interesting and i remember the first time i saw the redwoods forest in warburton yeah that's it I right totally i thought it was amazing by that place yeah, yeah i thought so too i've never been to a place like that except in a european place it felt really magical it's got a really nice canopy of trees and it just feels like a different world in there and we shot a lot of the comet kids movie in there as well and i knew i wanted to use it somehow in this film um, and I looked at a few different forests, but that one definitely <laughs> looks the best. And so we um, we shot there. And the day we actually shot there, there was about a hundred people walking around that forest. Yeah, because um, it's open to the public. You know, anyone can. can yeah, walk yeah, that's there. right. It's it's really it's un- become, usual. It's become more popular. The last time we were there, there was food trucks, which was <laughs> pretty crazy. Because when we shot the comic kid, there was really no one there. And it, I don't know where I doubt very much our film made it more popular. But since the <laughs> film came out, it's become a lot more popular. And um, yeah, so we had to be very careful filming the opening scene because there was just people everywhere. Like, you know, we had you know, just walking around, like 100 people walking around, which was unexpected when we got there. So, um, but yeah, I definitely try to find a lot of locations that, that look great. Like we shot a lot of this movie down at Phillip Island as well. So that was um, a really big location for us. And I shot a lot of it in my backyard as well. And, you know, just, you sort of mix mix and match places together to, to make a scene work, I guess. And um yeah, Australia's, just, you know, Victoria, and, and even locally, it's got some really interesting locations that, um, you know, if you go online and just, you know, 
do a bit of research. They're really easy to find. And, um, yeah, so it just, it just it adds, adds to the movie, for sure. Like, it gives it some sort of production value, I guess, because you're utilising really beautiful natural areas, which is good. Because, because you're doing this uh, as something that's running parallel to... Other uh, life. I mean, I don't even know if you've got a family. You may have a family as well, which is another uh, parallel universe to filmmaking. Yes, um, yes I've got three ki- three kids and a wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which, which you know, that they're, they're the main game. You know, uh, part of the main game. Uh, it, it, did you? How long did it take you to shoot, and um, how long did it take you to make this film? It was about um, less than a year of preparation, I think, for Dreams of Paper and Ink. And then we shot the movie, I think it was about 12 days in total, mm-hmm. which isn't very long, and, no. but that was actually broken up because we sh- I think we shot for about six or seven days initially. And then the, whole, the, the big COVID thing happened where everyone was locked down for the first time, mm. and that put a complete hold on the, on the whole movie. And that was kind of a blessing in some weird sort of way because it gave me an extra, I think, about five months to sort of figure out where we wanted the movie, the movie to go. And so that was... Um, yeah, it was helpful, actually, in some weird sort of way, because I could sort of edit everything we had and really dissect it properly before we shot anything else. Um, but it was a bit scary at that point, because we thought, you know, we're going to um, not be able to shoot the rest of it. And there was a yeah a couple of months where I was like, you know, this may just be a film that never gets finished, because we didn't know how long the COVID lockdowns were going to happen for. Mm, but yeah. um, it did all lift, luckily, and everyone was still up for it, so we all got back together and we shot the rest of the film and it turned out great. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, it really reflects on the the uh, practical nature of films but also the internal uh, shaping that goes on, uh, the uh, mind of the person making the film and how it's applied to that practicality. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, the uh, I just remind listeners that they're on 3CR on Showreel and uh, we're there with Annie and, and we're talking with Glenn Triggs whose film uh, Dreams of Paper and Ink is getting a screening on Friday the 20th, that's tomorrow, at the Lido in Hawthorne. It's at 7pm and there's going to be a Q&A. And I'm having uh, the good luck of having a chat with Glenn about his filmmaking experience, but also about this particular film, uh, Dreams of Paper and Ink, which ha- is not a dialogue-focused uh, film. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's actually it doesn't use dialogue to uh, project the story. And so I'd like to know how that worked when you were directing your uh Actors, because they're pretty good. Your actors, hey, where did you get them? Yeah, in fact? yeah, we um, I found uh, like Neil, who's the sort of the older um, author. He is a non-actor; he's never acted before. Ah, interesting. Um, and I, I'd met him through some, a friend of mine, and I sort of thought he's a really interesting character. Like he was always, you know, a really interesting guy to talk to. And he was he jumped at the experience, so that worked really well. And then with Tamara, she I'd seen her online. Like I'd, I'd been, you know, following actors for a while trying to find the perfect people for this film and I saw her and I was like she's perfect like I have to use her and if, if she says no to the project I wasn't going to make it at all oh goodness so I, um, I that's went very there, committed like, yeah I just, I just there was no one else that could have played this role like, at, at this time locally it just wasn't a thing that was going to happen so um, yeah so we I've gone totally blank on what the question was <laughs> oh it's about your actors and uh, no dialogue um, oh, yes. Where you got your actors first, and then how did your directing develop through this process? 
Yeah, so it was easier for them because they didn't have to memorise any lines. I think that it was also <laughs> a bit of a challenge. It was a bit of a challenge too because they had to, yeah, project a lot with their eyes, which is what they were great at anyway. And so we did a lot of chemistry tests. Like we already had locked in Tamara to play Kina, the lead sort of girl in the film. And then we did a few chemistry tests with a few other actors and we eventually found Will, who um, is great in the film and he does some really good stuff. Yeah. And we shot what, this, What's like said, um, Will been in before? I've seen him before. He, I'm not too sure all the things he's been in, but he's been in a few of sort of like local short films and mm. things like that. Okay, yeah, um, go on. Nothing major I'm not aware of, but he, um, yeah, he's amazing. Just really adaptable to things and could just... Um, yeah, just just go go with scenes and not overplay things. I didn't want to sort of have you know I didn't want the actors to be acting per se. I want them to be very natural in their environments. That's sort of how I like to direct. I like things very realistic. Um, and so yeah, they they got along really well and portrayed a very interesting couple. And this entire film is based on my life. So this is a, a period of time in my life that I went through when I was younger. So it was very easy for me to direct because I knew exactly what each character was going through, well, mostly what my, my own character was going through, but I could, I could really um, easily direct what everyone else was going through around the main characters as well because I'd lived it all and, and knew it all. Um, how how really did you well. find that? How did you find um, doing a story that was so personal? That was um, why was you did it? You did it on yeah. purpose? Yeah, it was, it was great. It, was, um, it, just, it made things heaps easy. I didn't have to sort of, you know, figure out backstories to characters because I already knew who these people were especially myself. Um, so there was moments where, you know, some characters are sitting on the bed and they're talking or, or something like that, and they're like, how, how do I sit? How am I sitting? And I'd say, oh, well, I sat like this, and I could remember exactly how it was sitting. So it was just very easy because there was literal uh, scenes and moments from my life that were in this film throughout. So, um, yeah, it just, it just made things a lot easier, but <laughs> which was good, I think, for me anyway. Uh, the... Um, it- the experience was, I mean, I, I, I find that kind of interesting. I did find the story really interesting in a way too because a young man coming uh, to terms with his slightly awkward and, and bad behaviour and looking at it, I mean, we're following the old, older writer who's actually self-reflecting. Um, and at the time, that is a confusing uh, not being able to see yourself as the person wearing the black hat as opposed to the white hat. That, I mean, that's what yeah. this film does, it, which is good. Yeah, it does some... I think a lot of people... I, 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 from what I've found from screening the film already, a lot of people have kind of been through this experience where yeah. you sort of... You have a relationship when you're younger, you sort of lock on to a particular person um, and then it doesn't work out for whatever reason. And it's a really common thing, I think, throughout people in relationships and it's not really spoken about too much in, you know, the world. It's kind of just the thing a lot of people you know, go through heartbreak and all that sort of stuff. And they but they don't talk about with, their failures, effectively. No, especially with males. They sort of, you know, a lot of people go through really hard times with breakups when they're younger and stuff. And this movie is entirely about that, um, you know, having to, you know, um, miss somebody that's still alive and grieve someone. Because I think it's a, it's a really weird thing when it happens. I think something biological happens to you when you sort of lock into someone and have a relationship and then it, yeah, it doesn't work out for whatever multitude of many reasons, whether or not that's predetermined by something else. You know, you're meant to sort of learn from these mistakes and, you know, find the right person. I'm not too sure. But, um, uh, it's actually funny. I'm reading a book that, uh, a, a fantastic book, but one of the lines in it about love, and I'm not saying it's true, but it says uh, that uh, falling in love is not about the other person, it's all about you. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's obviously, there's, you know, there's thousands of quotes and there's millions of songs about, you know, love and heartbreak and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I wanted to make a movie just about that, I guess, and just and what you learn along the way too, which I think is really important. Because if I hadn't have learned from those mistakes, I would have, you know, made them with, you know, the person that I ended up marrying. That would have ruined everything. And, you know, you, you sort of unfortunately need to learn and, you know, fall off the bike a few times before you can ride properly, I guess, in life. So, um, yeah, 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 no, no, it's, it's about that. It, it, yeah, it's good. And and you brought up something there: the music and the soundscape. Because you're not relying on dialogue, uh, the music and the soundscape are very important. So tell us about that. Yes, I've been listening to a lot of music, like for months and months and months, and I'd sort of created sequences from music I'd been listening to. Um, and I was lucky enough to get some of the artists involved that I'd been listening. I know to. it's I got great. For, you've got great um, songs in this. Yeah, so um, and I and, I'd, and there was I'd fallen in love with a lot of these songs. We, we couldn't get all the songs I wanted in the film, but we got you know most of them. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of music in the film, and there's also a whole sort of um, sequence to do with uh, sort of actually singing and playing guitar and all that sort of stuff in the film. How you know the lead actor um, he you know he learns how to play guitar later in life, and he finally gets you know play a song. And there's, there's always I don't want to give away too much. It's no. Sort of down, <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's just exciting that... when I say it like that. But it's, it's no, very no. interesting sort of. But um, but the, but music and singing. But you're, that's not another thing about this film being such a local feature is that you're actually showcasing local artists. Yeah, there's a few local artists that it's yeah, they've got some really good, really really good music. There's some great sort of independent music in Victoria, um, and I've got to know some of these artists over the years as well, and got to use their music in the film. So it was a it was a long process listening listening to a lot of songs, trying to get that perfect you know, wavelength that, that matches the emotion of the film. Um, and that was really complicated sometimes, and other times it was really easy. Um, but you knew, I knew pretty quickly. I'd listen to a song and be like, this is, the, you know, the song we need to have in the film. And other times it was, you know, you listen to a, a thousand songs and still can't find anything that's right. Mm. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was a difficult process, I'd say, with the music, but it, it turned out really well. And the music is definitely a, a great feature of the film because it, um, it elevates all of it. It just, it does... A magic thing. Music, music and film just is such a, a magical um, combination. I think. Before before we finish up, um, remind people that we're talking about dreams of paper and ink, and it's going to be screening Friday, twentieth of May at the Lido in Hawthorne. Nice cinema, seven pm, and it's going to be followed by a Q and A. Uh, your experience now with eight features. And I've noticed that you've won some awards overseas, etc. I mean, it's going to be screened on Monday. I mean, sorry, on Friday tomorrow at seven pm at the Lido. But uh, what's your distribution plan? We've had the film at three film markets so far. Um, so it's been like the American Film Market Berlin, and it's over at Cannes at the moment. Um, and it's just it hasn't got any nibbles yet. And mainly that's because all these film uh, markets. Um, has been online in the last year. The people aren't actually physically going to these markets anymore um, because of COVID. So it's it slowed a lot of things down. I know with the Comet Kids, we had sales very quickly with that film. Mm. Um, but this one, yeah, for whatever, it's mainly COVID. We've been told that Cairns is a, a, a tendable market at the moment. So we're just, we're just waiting mostly. I've done my own sort of distribution with cinemas locally um, that we're waiting for, for VOD and all the DVD thing to sort of kick off um hopefully soon we're, we're just waiting to sort of um 
wait, waiting for all that to happen. So it's a, it's, it's been a long process with this film, that's for sure. It's just been going on for about probably six months now, I think. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that someone picks us up and um, we get a distribution deal, which I think we will, but we just, yeah, just have to wait for it at this stage. Do you do all that yourself? I mean, or do you have other people who work on this with you? Or um... We've got other people. We've got an yeah, executive producer, um, John Tedesco, who's sort of helped get the film to all the markets at the moment. So this, I've got different avenues. I've done a, a fair bit of it myself with uh, regards to promotion and the cinema releases. So things like, you know, poster design and... Um, uh, marketing and all, all that sort of stuff that goes with that, mm. um, and I've been doing all the um, all the the DCP work, which is like the uh, it's all the stuff you need to sort of set up before you show it at a cinema. It's quite a, a technical process to get a film into cinema shape, and so that that's been a, a whole process with five point one sound and all that sort of stuff. But I, I managed to get all that happening. That the second time I've done a proper five point one mix for film, it's um, quite a headache, unfortunately, because it's um, it's not my my number one sort of forte. I'm more sort of into directing and editing, but um, yeah, sound design is, it's a lot of fun, but it's very complicated. Oh, I take my hat off to you, Glenn Triggs. You're uh, an all-rounder, no doubt, and you're getting better and better every time you make a film, no doubt. Uh, just to remind people, Dreams of Paper and Ink at uh, Lido in Hawthorne at 7pm, followed by a Q&A Friday, 20th of May. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah. Um, quite extraordinary, extraordinary stuff. Uh, and that's showreel today. Uh, we're going to go out with State of the World uh, by Ruth Hazelton. And uh, coming up next is Published or Not.
You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.